Um, our next um, presenter is... Who's our next presenter? Ah, of course. Our next presenter is uh, University of Melbourne's Nicholas Lowe. Um, please uh, give him a round of applause. Well, I hope we never have to live with the East-West link. Um, I think... I, I know, <laughs> however good the bike uh, outcome is, which I... Well, it's nice to hear that there is... There might be some good outcome. But I hope we never have to live with it. And uh, I'll do whatever I can do to stop it. That's... Um, but, but I want to get away a little bit from uh, the East-West link and... and um, talk about perhaps another reason why we're here, which is around the question of sustainable transport. Um, and uh, the, my particular focus is this book, uh, which we produced last year uh, from an outfit called Gamut, and I directed Gamut, which stands for Governance and Management of Urban Transport, and it was funded by the Volvo Foundations um, here. And uh, it it, the gamut was centred on the question of sustainable transport and what it means and how, how we're going to deliver it. So, um, I'd, incidentally, I'm very interested in the concept of path dependence. <coughs> Thank you for mentioning that. Uh, I'm not going to talk about path dependence much, in fact, at all tonight, but uh, there's another book which we published this year uh, which has that as its entire theme, the question of path dependence in transport. Um, so the, the first point I'd make is that it's easier really to talk about reversing unsustainability. Once you start talking about sustainability, you get into definitional problems. And of course, there's, what, 400 different definitions of sustainability. But unsustainability is very clear. Um, transport worldwide is 98% dependent on fossil fuel, and it's therefore unsustainable. Uh, fossil fuel transport is a major contributor to global warming, uh, which will have devastating results if we don't act rather quickly to slow it down, <coughs> act together. Um, we've elected somehow a government in Australia that doesn't believe in climate change. And surprise, surprise, it doesn't appear to believe in science <laughs> what it does seem to believe in is belief. But, you know, we talked earlier about evidence, and uh, the unfortunate thing about climate change is that we have to act now, more or less now, in order to forestall something which is going to unfold over several hundred years. Um, so what we have to do now is to move towards something like zero-emission transport. And that's what we say in the book, and we, we sort of develop the arguments around that. But we do have to start now. Uh, this is from Mark Linus's book, Six Degrees. It's a very frightening book, um, and I just wanted to, you to have a look at this. At five degrees of warming, and that is where we're heading at the moment. The world is heading towards five degrees of warming over a long period of time, admittedly. The remaining ice sheets are eventually eliminated from both poles. Rainforests have already burnt up and disappeared. Rising sea levels have inundated coastal cities. We are in a coastal city. And are beginning to penetrate far inland into continental interiors. 
humans are herded into shrinking zones of habitability by the twin crises of drought and flood. Inland areas see temperatures 10 or more degrees higher than now. That, that's what the scientific studies which Mark Linus cites tell us about the future at five degrees, and it's extremely frightening, and we all ought to be frightened about that. Uh, this is, of course, a, a, a net picture, and it's, um, you might think, somewhat fanciful. And, uh, it, it, but is it, in fact? Um, the question is rather when rather than if. Um, it may be 300 years' time that this happens, when the Greenland ice sheets have melted, when uh, Antarctica is beginning to melt. Um, but uh, it, we do need to think about that sort of thing. It's about risk. Um, so is this extreme scaremongering, or is it the future we are unwittingly or even knowingly setting in motion? Um, what we do know for certain is that greenhouse gases are being emitted more than 100 times faster than at any time for which we have a geological record. And that is happening through human combustion of fossil fuel. There's no doubt about that. There's political debate around it, but there's no debate in science. Global warming is as much a fact as evolution, as continental drift, or gravity. Or for that matter, uh, a spherical Earth and not a flat Earth. Um, the atmosphere is warming faster than ever before, and we can't afford to take the risk, uh, which is high, that Linus and the climate scientists might be right. So we think that the minimum requirements of sustainable transport are these. Greenhouse emissions from transport and infrastructure to be reduced to a level that will stabilise the global climate at no more than two degrees of warming. And together with that, we have to have a socially fair transportation system, both in global terms and, and in city terms within our cities. A socially fair transportation system amongst countries at different stages of development, which actually need to grow their economies with the use of fossil fuel. You can't just cut China off from fossil fuel just like that. And within cities, so that every part of a city has access to good public transport and safe walking and cycling paths. Well, what would a sustainable transport system be like, uh, given that, that sort of minimum and tight definition? It will be powered by electricity generated by renewable energy and not fossil fuels. There will be electric cars and vans, but most commuter traffic in, in cities will use top-quality public transport. Why do we talk about electrifying cars when we already have an electric system of public transport? Well, some of it's electrified anyway. Trains, buses, trams, light rail, cycling and walking will be planned to deliver the maximum benefit to personal mobility and safety and efficient movement of goods. Where new roads, railways and footways are needed, they'll be planned as integrated elements of a single network to implement the vision of sustainable transport. Um, now, we, you, know, you hear a lot about the Zurich system, of course. It's, it's um, much cited. And the, the point is that they're nearly at that sort of state. Um, and they do it very well in Zurich. And there's nothing particularly magical. And there's certainly no uh, high-tech um, solutions in Zurich, it's very much 
um, same old, same old, but it works extremely well. Uh, the Zurich system serves a more dispersed suburban area than Melbourne's, about half, in fact, uh, and it provides simple integrated timetables for railways and buses, well-designed train bus interchanges, walking and cycling paths, joining up stations and residential and commercial areas, and it does that at half the cost per passenger kilometre of Melbourne's public transport system as it is. And here's just some, some slides from some pictures from Zurich. You can see uh, this is the network, very sensible network of buses connecting with trains, the timetable uh, connecting up so that a bus pulls in here. Yeah. This, is, this, is this is a bus interchange Zurich style where there's probably five steps from the train to the bus. Okay, that, that, uh, that's, that's the most interesting example from Zurich. They're not all like that. And you, you sometimes have to do other things. But um, that is the nature of high-quality interchange, high-quality intermodal exchange. And that's what one ought to expect in Melbourne. Um, uh, uh, shelter for, for bikes down there. Uh, little um, sort of transparent shelters for bikes. So you can park your bike and log it up. Um, and, and note the signposts here. Uh, the, those who want to walk or bike are taken care of and the, the, uh, um, the way marking is all there at the station telling you exactly how many hours, how many minutes to get to uh, somewhere, somewhere else that you might want to go. So it's not all about cars and that's very important, this sort of way, way marking at, at stations so that you have this sense of connectedness between uh, bikes, cycling, walking, public transport, and residential and areas and other destinations. Everything is knitted together. There is a, a, a functioning network throughout. Um, and, well, we've started to do this in Perth. Uh, Perth has built two new uh, major urban railway lines in the last 20 years, integrating bus routes and timetables with trains. And this is, this is one of them, um, inspired by Peter Newman. And I was very... Uh, encouraged to see that Alana McTiernan has been elected as the Labour member for Perth. She will make an excellent uh, Labour uh, transport minister, I, I hope, at some future time. And she was responsible for, for forging through the um, Southern Railway in, in Perth, the Mandurah Line, and it, as you see here, it's, it has this integrated system of connecting buses and, and trains. So sustainable, sustainable transport for Melbourne. Um, the Auditor-General has spoken on this. Uh, we need catch-up investment in public transport. We need the Doncaster Rail Line. We need the Roeville Rail Line, the Melton Line electrification, because we've got to make electric public transport. Uh, the Cranbourne East Railway Extension, the Epping North Railway Extension, the Mernda Railway Extension. Um, and, of course, then uh, there's also the... Um, the metro, which for the longer term future is going to be extremely important. And all of that can be built for less than this uh, eastern section of the um, proposed east-west tunnel. Um, Melbourne is growing towards 5 million. We, you know, we're continually told this. And to meet the needs of a city of 5 million, we must here, in addition to completing the rail and tram systems, rationalise the bus routes and integrate them with rail timetables, a la Zurich. 
We must build new intermodal transit stations. Uh, we must build the east-west rail metro tunnels. We must build new freight transport systems, getting trucks off the road. We don't need long-distance trucking for um, the uh, movement of freight between cities. Um, just a, a word about London. Uh, the thing is that as Melbourne moves, to, moves towards 5 million, it's getting close to the population of London within the um, M25, that is the 33 London boroughs. Now, um, London at the moment has grown actually a lot since I was last there, uh, which was, let me see, 36 years ago, but, um, uh, well, you know, when I lived there, but um, uh, population of, of um, Greater London is 8.17 million. Uh, there's a congestion charge for entering Inner London um, and a massive bus system. The Inner London is flooded with buses everywhere. And, of course, it has the London Underground. And we talk about path dependence, but probably this is the most, one of the most path dependent, uh, in, in physical terms, um, features of, of London, the Underground, because London would not function without that. And, you know, we're talking about building up one metro line in, in Melbourne, for goodness sake, at five million. Um, and London is building and building rail. This is Crossrail, Crossrail cross 1. There's also Crossrail 2. That's a vast new railway line, an underground railway line, fast link between outer west and outer east of London, right through the centre of London. And this is the sort of thing you're finding, that... New Crossrail stations, Paddington, Bond Street, Tottenham Court Road, Farrington, Liverpool Street, Whitechapel, Canary Wharf, Woolwich. A lot is going on in London, and they're building rail. And who's the mayor? This funny old guy, Boris Johnson. But the person who really introduced this was Ken Livingstone. And uh, Boris has, has continued this, to, much to his credit, I have to say. Um, so in Melbourne, what are we doing? We're still pursuing this freeway dream from 1969, the Melbourne Transportation Study. Um, this, is the, this is inner Melbourne, according to the Transportation Study. Freeway dreaming, 1969. Uh, incidentally, note here, the plan also included three large railway extensions, including the railway to East Doncaster. And, and this is what freeway plans do. They include railway... But the thing is, the railways never get built. The freeways get built, but the railways don't. And this plan was only up to 1985. Now, the thing is, you can build yourself out of congestion, but you also destroy the urban fabric when you do so. And we've known that for decades, really, since the Buchanan Report in London, that you can't, you can't build yourself out of congestion without destroying the fabric of the city. And this showed it very clearly in 1969, and Dick Hamer, the Premier of that time, uh, to his credit, um, said no freeways in the inner city. And we have to say the same now. And I hope that, that a meeting like this, this is fantastic to see people here who are the next generation and who will be the activists to make this happen. So Melbourne, 2013, what do we have? Um, we have dangerous, dangerous paths for bikes. This is Port Melbourne, where I live. Um, two kids in that, that bike, and the bike is forced out onto the road. No one cares. Uh, we have that, a vast new extension of City Link, 
uh, and CityLink was built with the promise of relieving congestion. Our research shows that uh, after CityLink was built, the traffic moves and moved slower than ever, even though they built these vast extensions to CityLink. And we have interchange stations which look like that. And uh, uh, this farcical um, um, uh, poster on, on Hoddle Street saying only the Liberals will build East-West Link. And I thought when I saw that, is this, a, is this an ad for the ALP? <laughs> anyway, um, but it turned out not to be. Um, so that's my point. Thank you.